This show is a part of the podcast network of the Walled Garden Philosophical Society, an international community of philosophers and seekers dedicated to the pursuit of truth, wisdom, virtue, and the divine, wherever they may be found. To find out more, go to thewalledgarden.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Soul Searching with Seneca. Today we're still focusing on letter number 20, on practicing what you preach. And we're going to be focusing on verses 7 through till the end, so 7 through to about 13, that's what it is. Uh, And uh, in these few verses, Seneca is basically following on from what he was previously saying, talking about how you need to obviously practice what you preach, you know, Uh, don't just be a talker of all of this wisdom, it has to be embodied within you. And now he's kind of asking the question, he starts verse 7 with a question, asking, but what will happen, you know, if I don't no longer have a household income, I support all of these people, what's going to happen? And uh, the, the, the idea is essentially, listen... If you decide to live by your principles and, and live a life based on the goods of the character and the goods of the, the principles that you live by, and not by the wealth that you might attain or the desires that you might have, uh, then there are some things that may happen to you when you change those values and make sure that you are uh, living according to your philosophy and not according to your desires. One of those things might be uh, that all of a sudden, uh, potentially the money stops coming in. It certainly seemed like it might have been the case for somebody like like Seneca, especially being in, uh, in, in politics and, uh, and in the high society of Rome. So now he's asking that question, what will happen if I truly start to live by my principles and, and perhaps I don't even have this household income? Uh, and he's going to go on and give us a few reasons why it actually might be preferable for you to go through the struggles of, uh, of going through poverty uh, or at least having a lot less in life. Um, why that might actually be beneficial for somebody uh, who who is ris- wishing to live by their principles and not by the desires. So anyway, we'll jump in, we'll read, and we'll see what we can take away. So he says, quote, But what, you say, will become of my crowded household without a household income? If you stop supporting that crowd, it will support itself. Or perhaps you will learn by the bounty of poverty what you cannot learn by your own bounty. Poverty will keep for you your true and tried friends. You will be rid of the men who were not seeking you for yourself, but for something which you have. Is it not true, however, that you should love poverty, if only for this single reason, that it will show you those by whom you are loved? Oh, when will that time come when no one shall tell lies to compliment you? Accordingly, let your thoughts, your efforts, your desires help to make you content with your own self and with the goods that spring from yourself, and commit all your other prayers to God's keeping. What happiness could come closer home to you? End quote. So I want to stop here for a moment because I think there are some really stunning ideas in here, beautiful ideas from Seneca. One of them is obviously this this very true statement that he makes that one thing that you might find when you have a lot less in life or where you have to go through poverty 
that situation in your life is that it will reveal to you who your true friends really are. And isn't that really a blessing? I think that's a really interesting idea to think about because it certainly is the case that it would be preferable to have friends around you who truly care for you based on who you are, not just based on what you can give them or what they can get, you know, out of this friendship. And especially for somebody like Seneca, he would have had this sort of situation all the time where he would have people around him who merely were pretending to be his friends just so that they could get something out of him. This was politics in Rome. This was high society of Rome. And we still see this today, 100%. You know, we've all experienced this, whether it's, you know, experiencing people who we thought were our friends who really turned out not to be our friends, uh, you know, when 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 we uh, came on hard times or, um, you know, needed support, uh, or whether it's ourselves, whether we can recognize within ourselves uh, that perhaps we are not really the friends of certain people, but perhaps it's that we really just want to get something out of them. I think if we all, uh, you know, dig deep enough within ourselves, we can see both of those scenarios uh, play out in our lives from time to time. And it's important to think about that. And and, and what Seneca is saying here is, uh, listen, poverty may actually be the thing that reveals to you who are the people who actually care about you and the goods of your soul. Uh, That's the kind of people who you actually want in your life. And I think that even though it's not necessarily the most compelling argument for why I should want to fall upon hard times or, uh, you know, fall into poverty, uh, it still is very, you know, I think it's a very good point that he makes and one that is useful to think about when it comes to your own life and your own relationships. And the second thing that I really love that Seneca says here is, uh, let your thoughts, your efforts, your desires help to make you content with your own self and with the goods that spring from yourself and commit all the other prayers to God's keeping. And I just think this is such an important idea and uh, and beautifully put as well, because this is the re-emergence in Seneca's writings of the Stoic principle of the dichotomy of control, right? So you see that he's saying, let me be content with what is mine, you know, what actually belongs to me, and that is my thoughts, my efforts, my desires. You know, make me content with those things, right? The good, the, the, the goods that spring forth from myself and commit all other prayers to God's keeping. That's that's a way of saying, listen, everything else is just up to fate. You know, everything else is, is going to happen. I'm going to content myself with my own actions, right? By living according to the principles that I have set for myself. And so anyway, we're going to keep on reading. He says, quote, Bring yourself down to humble conditions, from which you cannot be ejected, and in order that you may do so with greater alacrity, the contribution contained in this letter shall refer to that subject. I shall bestow it upon you forthwith. Although you may look askance, Epicurus will once again be glad to settle my indebtedness. He says, Believe me, your words will be more imposing if you sleep on a cot and wear rags. For in that case, you will not be merely saying those words, you will be demonstrating their truth. I, at any rate, listen in a different spirit to the utterances of our friend Demetrius, after I have seen him reclining without even a cloak to cover him, and, more than this, without rugs to lie upon. He is not only a teacher of the truth, but a witness to the truth. End quote. 
So here, obviously, Seneca is giving us the second reason why he thinks that poverty may actually be preferable and something to be desired even in, in some cases. And that is because he believes that it is going to show people that the words you're speaking, the philosophy that you believe that you are supposed to be practicing, is actually being demonstrated in your actions, meaning you're put up against these harsh situations in life or these situations that other people may consider to be harsh. And in those situations, you're showing that it's actually not ruinous to your soul, and it's not getting in the way of you living by your best principles. And this is a theme that we see all throughout the Stoic writings, this idea that, you know, when it comes to the mob, there are going to be things that they generally avoid, there are going to be things that they generally think are bad or to be avoided, right? And and the Stoics would question, well, you know, are these things truly bad? Are they really bad? Or is it really, is it the, the, the mindset that we face these situations of life with that makes them bad? Is it our own definitions that makes them bad? Because we need to remember that to the Stoics, the only bad is vice, right? The only good is virtue. And everything in between is just kind of indifferent, meaning it doesn't really make a difference either way. Uh, And so Seneca didn't think that poverty was bad or necessarily to be avoided. He just thought that it was a situation that if you get yourself into, okay, well, we're here now, uh, but ultimately I can still act in good character. And he's making this point that, uh, I mean, look, if if you want to find a good in poverty, it's the fact that I get to prove that, uh, you know, these principles that I say that I live by are actually working for me. I can still have a flourishing internal world and I can still be happy with the goods of my soul. And I can still be happy because I can still allow my character to shine as a great example. And that's a beautiful idea. So anyway, he goes on to say, quote, You may ask, may not a man, however, despise wealth when it lies in his very pocket? Of course, he also is great-souled, who sees riches heaped up round him, and, after wandering long and deeply because they have come into his possession, smiles and hears rather than feels that they are his. It means much not to be spoiled by intimacy with riches. And he is truly great who is poor amidst riches. Yes, but I do not know, you say, how the man you speak of will endure poverty if he falls into it suddenly. Nor do I, Epicurus, know whether the poor man you speak of will despise riches, should he suddenly fall into them. Accordingly, in the case of both, it is the mind that must be appraised, And we must investigate whether your man is pleased with his poverty, and whether my man is displeased with his riches. Otherwise, the cotbed and the rags are slight proof of his good intentions, if it has not been made clear that the person concerned endures these trials not from necessity, but from preference. End quote. So there are some really interesting ideas here that I want to pick apart, starting with where he says that he is a great-souled person who can have heaps of riches piled up around him and only hear rather than feel that they are his. There's a really interesting idea there, right, that, uh, you know, this person would be covered in riches, but they would only hear, you know, hear from passing, you know, people tell him that he's wealthy, people tell him that he has a lot of money, but he knows all the while uh, that he does 
not actually own these riches, that they are merely something given to him by fate that may be very much taken away from him tomorrow. You know, the Stoics had this idea that, uh, you know, in life, we don't want to believe that anything belongs to us uh, if it is something that can be taken away tomorrow. That means even your hand, even your leg, right? Even family members. There's this idea that, uh, you know, the only thing that truly belongs to you is that center of uh, judgment, you know, it's it's your actions, it's your values, it's your beliefs, it's your, uh, your desires, right? These sorts of things are the things that are actually up to you, they belong to you, but everything else, you know, it can be given and taken uh, by the winds of fate. And, uh, and so, you don't want to put too much faith in those things, meaning you don't want to uh, believe that they are yours to keep. And so, Seneca makes this point here that great sold is the person who even though there are, there are riches piled up all around him, he does not believe that they are his, right? So, he's got kind of a loose grasp on them, which is an interesting idea to think about. And you do get the sense that if this person didn't have such a, a tight grasp on this wealth, didn't believe that it was truly his, uh, you know, and only heard that he was wealthy sort of thing, uh, you know, you get the sense that that person would not allow that wealth to influence his character, to influence who he would be, because that's not the most important thing. And there's another interesting point here where Seneca is kind of now having a bit of a dialogue with Epicurus, and Epicurus says, yes, but I don't know, uh, you know, how the man you speak of will endure poverty if he falls into it suddenly. And Seneca says, nor do I, Epicurus, know whether the poor man you speak of will despise riches should he suddenly fall into them. And so, this is a really interesting moment where Seneca turns it around and says that, hey, listen, this works in both ways. Whether you're starting with no money and going into wealth, or whether you're starting with wealth and you're going into no money, the point is that you don't want either of those situations to then govern how you think, how you live your life, the character that you have, the choices that you make. You don't want that to be what makes the difference in how you behave in life. And so he is saying here, and he makes this point, uh, it is the mind that must be appraised and we must investigate whether your man is pleased with his poverty and whether my man is displeased with his riches. And so, certainly one of the ideas that Seneca is pointing out here is, you know, don't be thinking that, uh, you know, the only way we are tested in life is by going without things. Sometimes we are tested by how much is heaped upon us and how we react in that circumstance to those things being heaped upon us. And so, Seneca might say that it is just as dangerous to the character to suddenly come upon a lot of riches as it is to, you know, suddenly have everything taken away from you. Because both of those scenarios hold with them certain temptations of the soul, uh, you know, to drag you down very dark paths. Uh, but what we need to realize and what Seneca points out here is it all comes back to you and your decisions and your desires and the actions that come from your soul, right? That's the most important thing. And that is the thing that ultimately, ultimately makes the difference, whether you have a lot or whether you have very little. And so anyway, he goes on to say, Quote, it is the mark, however, of a noble spirit not to precipitate oneself into such things on the ground that they are better, but to practice for them on the ground that they are thus easy to endure. And they are easy to endure, Lucilius, when, however, you come to them after long rehearsal. They are even pleasant, for they contain a sense of freedom from care, and without this nothing is pleasant.' 
I hold it essential, therefore, to do as I have told you in a letter that great men have often done, to reserve a few days in which we may prepare ourselves for real poverty by means of fancied poverty. There is all the more reason for doing this, because we have been steeped in luxury and regard all duties as hard and onerous. Rather, let the soul be roused from its sleep, and be prodded, and let it be reminded that nature has prescribed very little for us. No man is born rich. Every man, when he first sees light, is commanded to be content with milk and rags. Such is our beginning, and yet kingdoms are all too small for us. Farewell. End quote. Alright, so obviously he's bringing in this idea once more uh, that we should be practicing things like going without for a few days, you know, and all the more reason to do so is the fact that we have been steeped in luxury, as he says, to such a point that, that everything seems hard to us, you know. I'm sure that many of us can recognize this in our, in our modern lives, you know, we live in, uh, a lot of us live in these great societies where, you know, really there is a lot of luxury around us. And it can seem sometimes when you, you're just living your life for a few weeks at a time, and you, if you look back and you think, you know what, life is pretty easy and I've become pretty weak when it comes to, <laughs> you know, doing difficult things, whether it's like exercising or whether it is having a cold shower or uh, whether it's doing the dishes, you know, even, even the smallest little tasks like doing the dishes or do, taking the rubbish out, if you're not paying attention, they can become annoying and difficult for people, you know, because we've just been so accustomed to these lifestyles of luxury or at least these lifestyles of ease, right? So Seneca's saying, listen, this is all the more reason that we need to practice this stuff. And he's saying, don't practice it because it's better. You know, don't practice it because it's actually preferable to be in poverty. Practice it so that if you have to endure it, it's going to be so much easier for you to do so. And this is all stuff that we now know has been proven to work for overcoming fears of certain things in life. What do you do with somebody who's afraid of something to the point that it's getting in the way of their happiness in life or getting in the way of their own personal flourishing? You slowly, bit by bit, introduce that person voluntarily to the thing that they're afraid of and what ends up happening? You know, they gain courage, you know, they're able to deal with it, they're able to face those fears, and they're able to get through those things. And this is exactly what Seneca is telling us about poverty. He's saying, listen, uh, you know, he even makes this point at the end, when we're born, we're all made content with milk and rags. That's the state that we come into this world by. But you know, by the time we grow up, we want all of these things and we feel as though we need to have all of this stuff around us, whether it's this wealth, you know, whether it's this property or whether it's all these, you know, material items, we feel as though we need these things. But, you know, from a young age, it's not as if we needed much. And Seneca is just pointing out that we need to practice going without so that we know what we truly are and so that we know what we're truly capable of. And so that when we face hardships in life or when we face these difficulties, uh, you know, that we previously would have been very afraid of, we will be able to say, you know what, I'm prepared for this. It's okay. You know, I can make the best judgments possible according to my own reason, according to my soul, right? And that's what I'm going to be content with. And is there a better strategy for dealing with the hardships of life than that. 
I'm not sure. It's something to be practiced, right? Something to be rehearsed. And of course, that is the theme of this letter, right? Practice what you preach. If this is stuff that you find interesting, if these ideas compel you, go away and start practicing them. Start seeing how they affect you in your life and the changes they allow you to make in your character. That's what I want to see, the transformation of the character. So, in the next episode, we're going to dive into letter number 21. We're finally into the 20s, right? Uh, And uh, this is on the renown which my writings will bring you. So, looking forward to that. I hope you've enjoyed this episode, and I'll talk to you next time.